Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24, and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Rosgem, and I'll be your host. Hello and welcome back. I'm delighted today to welcome back to the podcast for a second conversation, my good friend, Karen Perham-Lippman. Karen was actually the second person I had an interview with on this podcast. So if you wanna hear her story, please listen to episode number three. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Karen is a dynamic and award-winning executive, community leader, and national public speaker. And since I had her on the podcast two years ago, she has risen in the corporate ranks, almost finished her PhD, and is now a published author, and launched all three of her boys into careers in the United States Navy. So to say that she is a high achiever is sort of an understatement, but we are going to talk about a very serious topic today that Karen has a lot of experience with, which is destructive leadership, toxic work culture and environments, and part of the solution, which we will definitely get to, transformational and empathetic leadership. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. (laughs) It's great to have you back. (laughs) Thank you so much. I've been busy these past couple of years. You certainly <laughs> have, my friend. Oh my God. I when I, you know, I read some of your posts sometimes and I'm just like, wow. So why don't you just in a quick intro tell us again like your sobriety date and you know where you work where you live and a little bit about what you do for a living. Yes. Uh so my sobriety date is August 31st of 2005. So I just recently celebrated my 17 years of Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> of sobriety and recovery which uh, is amazing to Pretty me. Awesome. Absolutely amazing. Yes. yes. I live in the Denver area in Colorado. We're currently having a snowstorm. Uh-huh. What else is <laughs> um, new? <laughs> Um, and, and now are all yes. three of your boys gone now, or there's two gone and one is leaving for the Navy mm-hmm. in the spring, right? Yes, that's right. My twins went through boot camp this summer when they graduated high school. One is out in Groton, Connecticut on the sub base, and he's learning to be a submariner and he'll be doing intelligence on the subs. And then the other one is in Pensacola, Florida, and he is also doing intelligence work and he'll be serving on ships. And then my older son is finishing up his master's and then he leaves in May and he'll also be doing intelligence work uh, on ships as well. And he'll be down in Pensacola with his brother. Wow. Oh my gosh. He's already state knows that he's going directly there. Huh? That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Okay. Well, I know that this is, um, kind of a topic that is near and dear to your heart that we've talked about a lot on the phone. Um, and I, I think it's a really important thing to talk about. I'm one of these personality types. That's always, sees the good in everything. Right. And, and I know how important it is to embrace the shadow. Um, and I've done that. I've done my work, but there's a lot of people in the world who have not. And although I teach 
positive leadership, empathetic, caring, loving. And I think so many people in recovery have these skills because we have gone, gone through either a 12 step program or some sort of deep work to heal our trauma, to figure out who we really are and to put our best selves forward in the world. And I know that's the people that are listening to this podcast. They're either getting ready to step into leadership or are already doing it. And so this topic though, I know you've been studying and I want you to tell us a little bit more destructive leadership and these destructive leaders, how destructive are they? And what kind of, you know, when you work in a toxic work culture, we've seen it happen with the great resignation, right? Over the last, uh, the pandemic. And so many people are like, screw this. I I'm not staying and working for a crappy boss anymore. Right. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your work and, and your PhD on this. And also what's been happening to you in the last couple of years since you've been studying this so deeply. Sure. Well, this, I think this first started for me early in my career when I had the experience of working for uh, someone whose leadership felt toxic. And this was, was in my, sobriety? Yes, that was yeah. in recovery. And I didn't understand it at the time or know what that truly meant. But some of the behaviors uh, showed up as narcissistic. Um, there were behaviors that that I experienced as, as gaslighting. Um, so explain to our listeners, what is gaslighting? So that, that, uh, and in the most extreme version of toxic leadership or destructive leadership, or someone who has a narcissistic personality, it's an, it's an action that someone takes in which they, um, communicate to you in a way in which they're manipulating you to think what you know to be true is not. Mm -hmm. You have an idea of facts or an understanding of what happened and their manipulative behavior communicates to you in a way when you doubt your, you begin to doubt yourself. And they tell you you're crazy. <laughs> Another thing is, tell me if this is, if I'm on track here is when somebody says, you know, um, they sort of force you to do things or, you know, constantly berate you and barrage you with whatever, um, whatever they're doing or saying. And then when you confront them on it, they turn around and play the victim. Those oh, first, yes. they're like the perpetrator. And then they're like, oh, what now? You know, they're, they're all holier than now. And they're, they, they play the victim. Like you've done this to me because you've confronted me. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon. Okay. So that's in there too. Yes. And, and I would say it's important to know there is a spectrum of toxic leadership. Yes. You're not either all bad or all good, right? We have a spectrum of just as the way we are as humans in the world engaging, um, we are good humans that can have bad days, et cetera. So uh, toxic or destructive leadership isn't all completely, let's say, narcissistic, but there are worst versions of leaders who show up in a way that we do call them toxic or destructive. And, and mainly that is because their actions and behaviors cause severe damage to the people that they are in charge of or managing uh, or leading because destructive leadership is a version of leadership, but also to organizations as well. They cause harm to the greater organization. And so we quantify it as toxic or destructive for those reasons. Mm. So 
I was um, getting my master's degree at the time. And <laughs> I'm a nerd, you know, I used to be a scientist. I wanted to do my master's thesis on quality management systems, something really <laughs> geeky. And my advisor, uh, a wonderful professor, he said to me, you have to write about what you know. I want to see you do your thesis on asshole bosses. That's what he said. <laughs> and I said... Oh, I, I don't know a lot about that. <laughs> I said, I don't know if I can put asshole boss in the title. <laughs> and he said, okay, but I think you need to do it on the subject of, wow. of bad bosses. And yep. so um, I did end up doing my master's thesis, which was a mixed method study on bad bosses. And in that study, I learned so much that helped me understand my experience but the study itself also gave an opportunity for my participants to have a cathartic experience of someone listening to them, yeah. someone hearing their lived experience or what I called in the study, those darkest hours in terms of what they were going through by the person they were being oppressed by. And what I found in my mixed method study is that the number one leading characteristic described by my participants in terms of their toxic boss or their bad boss was bullying. They were being bullied. Mm -hmm. And there were strong statistics at the time that showed one out of every two people in the American workforce was experiencing bullying by a manager wow. in the workplace, which at that time, you know, five years ago, that felt like a lot. So that was something I really wanted to study further. And then a question, quick question. Yeah. Did, did, was there correlation or, you know, how, what was the percentage of men versus women bullies? So I didn't look at gendered statistics okay. at that time. I have done that in my, in my doctoral work, but I think uh, I, I was still learn. There was so much for me. Like when I go back and look at my master's work, <laughs> that feels like kindergarten <laughs> <laughs> in terms of what I've learned, because you do, once yeah. you start down a path of studying a subject, the more you spend time in it. Talk about a rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. But then the more you learn, too, my writing has gotten better, my understanding, my research. Well, not what just was that, but your experience, because I know yes. that you've had a toxic boss in, in recently. All right. So I don't want to interrupt you. Just for something you want to say before that or tell us I, about that experience? I did. And I, I kind of want to bring this back a bit to a re recovery in terms of one of the skill sets that we learn in that mm. experience, because- in my master's study, the key, the key characteristic or skill that my study participants either improved or gained in order to, to navigate their experience with their bad boss was the power of networking. Oh. And that could have been, you know, based on participant description inside their existing organization. And for some, it was outside of their field or industry or organization. But that was the skill that they either developed or if they had that skill initially improved upon in order to survive the situation they were in and or look for a new situation. Survival skill, I, even in adult. Yeah. Right. But when I think about in recovery, one of the incredible, powerful tools that we gain in recovery is the ability to learn to network. We 
come into a group of folks that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And we know that if we don't find a way to trust and lean on them, we mm-hmm. will not make it. Right. Literally. <laughs> so we learn to put ourselves out there and we learn to build and grow relationships in a deep and meaningful way for our own survival and for the survival of others. And so um, it's a powerful tool. And as seen in my study, it was a powerful tool for surviving a, t- you know, a bad boss. And, you know, some of that stuff is even just like when you're going through those, um, you know, transgressions or those events happening at work, you get more and more sort of squashed down, right? And trauma gets it's like stuck in your body. Those min- it's, it's nothing to be sneered at, right? Like tr- th- those little traumas continue to build up and build up. And when you're in the program, you could go, and you know how to let off steam, you know how to vent it out, you know how to share it and you realize what's healthy and what's not healthy. You learn to have your voice and stand up for yourself. But I've met other people who are not like in, have any kind of program and they just get so small and it affects their self-esteem so deeply that they're just, they're just like a shell of what they could be or should be at work. Would you agree? Yep. Yeah, I would. I would say, though, that um, <clears throat> even with recovery tools, destructive leaders can be so, so negatively impactful that even those tools aren't enough to mm-hmm. manage some some of the trauma that that may can't come up. You know, since my master's thesis, I have experienced uh <clears throat> destructive leadership again and even with my tools that caused depression and trauma for me in terms of how it impacted my mental health but even more so it um, manifested into PTSD because I had you know higher traumas that I may have worked on and healed. Mm -hmm. You can, I went through therapy for a number of years to overcome having experienced uh, domestic violence or intimate partner violence in my marriage. And um, I, you know, certainly felt that I had moved forward in that part of my recovery journey, but future experiences can re, um, open old wounds. Yes, they can. And that's been the experience for me. So um, just because we have a recovery program doesn't mean um, that we are immune. (laughs) Or that we don't need extra outside help. Yeah. And there's in our literature for those for those of our of your listeners who have come through recovery through a 12 step program and have benefited from some of the literature in those programs, like the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. One of the important things that I think is communicated uh, by our founders in that literature is that it's okay to ask for outside help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the the most challenging things that we do to each other as humans is stigmatize mental health. And we have to make sure that we communicate that it is okay to ask for help when struggling in a mental health crisis. And um, I'm glad that our literature does that because sometimes there are many tools that a human needs to be okay. And we need to be able to let each other know 
that what works for you is, is for you and might not be the same for me. Right. But if I do use outside help or therapy or experts or specialists to help me navigate depression or anxiety or uh, mental health crisis like PTSD, that's okay. That doesn't make me right. Right. Um, of, uh, someone who's had a failing. I know when we talk about substance use disorder, one of the, or the number one stigma associated with substance use disorder is that it's a choice and a moral failing for that, for that person that's, uh, has substance use disorder. And we know that to not be true. No, we know that long in when you're in long-term recovery, I've got 37 years now coming up on 38 and short in a couple of months. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. <laughs> but you know, the, the same thing it, it's sometimes it's even harder to reach out when you really need help because you think like, Oh, well I should be this way or that <laughs> way. And I should be, cause I have so much, but it's BS. It's just yes. <laughs> living in the freaking world dealing with life on life's terms and re that reaching out for help. We really do need to do it. I've known people with long-term sobriety who've actually killed themselves because they didn't know how to deal with something and they didn't know really how to reach out. And a lot of times we go, we might even go back out just to deal with the stress of whatever we're dealing with. So what would you say is the, and, and of course there's medications too, right? Like yes. those are all okay too. Uh, yep. in a, in a, um, when you're dealing with mental illness or mental health, I should say, um, because a lot of us have anxiety or we have depression, like you said, but they're situational. Sometimes they're just situational and we need help on the way through. So what would you say is the biggest, um, tool that you would prescribe to somebody who was dealing with a destructive, um, leadership, you know, boss, kind of a bad boss situation, mm. just get out or, cause sometimes it's hard to just yeah. get out. So, so that can't be the answer for everyone because no. that, um, that makes universal assumptions that whoever's prescribing that knows what your situation is. So in the circumstance where earlier in my career, I worked for a toxic or destructive leader, I didn't have um, the ability to to leave that situation at that time, right? Yeah. I was reliant upon the financial security it provided me for my family as we were struggling, um, you know, financially to become sustainable. And, and that's part of the challenge and can also be part of the emotional trauma of a situation like that is that you're, it's you, compounded. It does. You begin to understand you're not okay where you are, but you are left with limited choices. And that further adds to the trauma of, of that experience. Um, and I mentioned that at that time, you know, the, the statistics told us that one out of every two people <laughs> were working for someone who had bullied them at some point in their career, which was, was frightening statistics. And and in fact, um, earlier than that, research had actually showed that costs associated were upwards of $24 billion annually because of lost productivity, lost employees, uh, lawsuits, turnover, absenteeism, mental, you know, and mental health. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> which I've been doing this work for a while, I wish I could say we're getting better, but we're not. Oh, we're not. Damn it. Get, I know. No, 
because now those numbers are um, doubled. They're 50 billion annually, oh, just in the US in terms yeah. of costs. And a big part of that we know happened because of COVID because people, like you said earlier in our conversation, were reassessing their values and their purpose and saying, I don't want to be in an organization anymore that doesn't care about me. Um, so I had the chance to uh, author a chapter in a book. I know you talked about this earlier. It was, um, it was a, a huge privilege to enter my voice into the conversation around this topic. And the focus was to discuss the difference between destructive leader behaviors and empathetic leader behaviors, which are not necessarily at the CEO level, like all across the organization, we can engage in leader behaviors. We're leaders at every level, Agreed. which means that at every level, we can be engaging in empathy or we can be engaging in being destructive. And in that chapter, I talked a bit about what that looks like and how those behaviors differently can harm an organization and its people. And it can be hard. Um, like I said before, destructive leadership has a spectrum, right? So if you are someone on the spectrum who maybe occasionally might engage in, in toxic behaviors, but have some self-awareness that you are impacting your employees, there are some things that you can do to adjust and moving forward, do a better job in terms of how you lead people. And uh, I talk about this with my co-author in the chapter itself, but it this um, framework comes, or this these strategies actually come from the nursing industry, from research in the nursing industry, because oh, wow. it's about empathy and care. And um, it was originated by uh, Carol Gilligan. But I used it in the chapter from a business perspective. It was modified later by Bowman. And the focus is what he calls the AAA strategy, which is first, acknowledge. Acknowledge that your actions are causing harm. And to be honest, especially as someone who works in the diversity, equity, inclusion space, this is the greatest challenge we find in organizations is mm -hmm. people taking accountability. Taking responsibility. Take accountability. Oh. You and I know, because in our step oh. work, yeah. we make amends. We take accountability. We, we own don't our... point the finger no. and blame you. We take uh, accountability for our actions. So, but so narcissists, the... they don't really do no. self-introspection. Nope. And and that's the, the other end of the spectrum where, where this may not necessarily be a strategy that can be used, to be honest, because you can't sit a narcissist down um, they have to be self-aware yeah, and ask them to be self-aware. They're not right. And at that far end of the spectrum of destructive leadership, there's something called the dark triad. And um, that's uh, in the research basically discusses that leader that is comprised of three specific behaviors or characteristics or traits. They are narcissistic. They engage in Machiavellianism and they have psychopathy like psychopathic. So if you have a leader that's those three things, they're not going to ever acknowledge <laughs> their behavior is bad. <laughs> Boot them out the door. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. But we could talk about that in a second. Back here on the spectrum of uh, leaders who who are, um, and, and so here's an example. Um, in the book, I talked about a leader in particular who had become so singularly focused in their goal that they had 
pushed their employees to a point of burnout and and devastation for the employees because they had become singularly focused on on their mission and outcome. Now that leader, you can set them aside and say, here's what's happening because of your actions. And that leader can potentially recognize that that they have become so self-focused, they're causing harm. Kind of like we do in the step work where a sponsor helps us understand how our behaviors and actions have been selfish and self-centered and are at the root of all our problems, right? <laughs> yes. And then helps us understand that by first acknowledging them that we can um, move forward. So the next step after you acknowledge is to apologize. And that apology is like making amends. It has to be action-oriented. It can't be words without substance because we all know what it feels like when someone says, sorry, not sorry, (laughs) right? Like it sucks. Or I'm sorry, you feel that way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's disingenuous. And it's like, and we're pretty good BS detectors. I say that all the time. It's (laughs) like, I can sniff a false apology any day of the week. Right. Yeah. So that's the second step, a true, authentic, genuine, meaningful, purposeful, intentful apology. And then the last step is action. And again, taking it back to our recovery work, when once we make amends, um, you know, and then we move forward in our recovery work as folks with substance use disorder, we now have to take action, which means that we've learned a different way of living. We've learned different ways to behave in our relationships and with others. And so the action piece is, is making it real. So if you apologize, but you don't ever walk, then you say, get back to work, (laughs) right? That doesn't, that doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah. Your actions have to change. Your behavior needs to change. That's right. So that's essentially, um, what, what a leader can do who, who has the ability for some self-awareness for those leaders in the organization where they're not, because they are at that far end of the spectrum that's not something that they're going to take action around. The organization has to take accountability. The other leaders in the organization and people in positions of power have to make the decision to remove that person from the organization because of the harm they're causing. And that takes accountability and acknowledgement from people in positions of power, which very often is hard because um, the one thing that can be true about a destructive leader is there can be temporary or perceived temporary benefit. For example, one of the things that comes up a lot when describing uh, uh, someone who's brought into an organization to right the ship, right? When it needs um, a boost in sales or uh, uh, an opportunity to turn itself around, that destructive leader can appear uh, as though they have the ability to command that ship temporarily and, and, turn it around. So they might have burst productivity and everyone thinks, wow, this is worth it. Sure. Uh, they upset a few people. Sure. You know, some, some people have left the organization since they got here, but, but we made sales. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the, the rest of the leaders have to step back and say, okay, but are the, is the damage to the people in the organization in the long term worth it? The answer should be no. I would hope so. All right. So now we have um, some great advice on how to get better as a leader yourself. I always tell my leaders, ask for feedback, 
ask mm. for feedback so that you know what people are thinking of you and how you're doing. But for these people, sometimes who are being bullied, I sometimes, if they can, if they have the voice and if I think that their boss is reasonable, <laughs> I will tell them to give feedback to talk to the boss. Yeah. Cause sometimes it, you can go around them to the ombudsman or to HR or to the boss's boss, but sometimes that'll kick you in the butt. Your first step is to talk to your boss. Do you, uh, I, so I recommend that when it makes sense to say, listen, this is what's happening to me. This is how I'm being impacted and I'm, I'm burning out, you know, like I, I can't right. keep up this kind of pace anymore. You, you either have to find other help or just know that you're going to have to manage expectations that this isn't going to get done on time or whatever, because I cannot meet this kind of pay. I can't keep this pace up. So do you ever recommend that people talk to their boss that way? Or what do you recommend? Yeah, I, I do. Um, but but definitely circling back to your statement when it, it makes depends. sense, right? Yeah. Because in some situations, um, there is an opportunity to have an accountability conversation or to communicate where you're coming from. And I've been in that situation before because I knew that it was the right way to move forward. But sometimes that in those leaders, um, are, are such that you, that is not the best way to navigate because um, their destructive leadership is such that there can't be trust and um, you, you don't have the entire intended um, outcome mm -hmm. because that person is not on the spectrum of awareness. Right. That's right? the thing. You have and to be able to listen and learn. That's right. Yeah. And, and then that, change your pattern. In that circumstance, that leader can turn that back around on you. Yeah, it's and, true. And it's like, like you were talking about in the beginning where someone then gets re-victimized. Um, mm. So some of the things, you know, that can be done are to, to document, to find someone trusted in the organization who you can, um, you know, communicate with to, to, to get help. I mean, you have to ask for help some of the things that especially when that leader is destructive and I've been through this in my own experience where I doubted myself where um you know I lost my self-confidence where I thought that I was the source of the issue and um in those circumstances I thought well if I up manage properly if I coach my own leader <laughs> if I I do we recommend that I, Right. right. Yeah. If I practice, um, if I practice the right thing to do, they'll learn by observing. <laughs> and, and those things can be true sometimes if that person, again, is on the spectrum of, of leadership where there's an opportunity for them to gain awareness and make changes. Um, I just wonder, and it makes me so frustrated to see how can some of these worst, horrible leaders rise so high in an organization and make such a, you know, traumatic fail on, on leadership. And somehow they still make it up there. They're either master manipulators or they're holding, you know, cards on other people. Right. I don't know how they do it, but it just, it infuriates me. I've been, you know, I've worked, I had 30 years in corporate, so I've met and had a lot of bosses. I had over 
I think I counted them one time, 26 bosses in 27 years. And, you know, wow. sometimes they change on you. Sometimes <laughs> sure. you change your job. It was sure. a lot. But I would say that the majority of them were really good. And this mm. is why I teach that, that what I learned about really right. awesome leaders. So let's talk um, in our last five minutes here on um, what are the empathetic or transformational uh, types of behaviors that you can, uh, imp you know, implement in your own leadership competencies that will make, make it so that people are loyal to you and they stay and can really develop an awesome space and environment. Yes. Before we do that really quick though, I want to circle back because, um, I just wanted to mention one thing we talked about that toxic environment and for, especially because that it can be manipulative and a person can feel gaslit. So I, I just want to give you a couple examples of the signs that you should look for that if you see your work environment is toxic and there are leaders in that space that are toxic and destructive. And so don't doubt yourself. <laughs> um, recognize that these things have created an environment that is not healthy for you. Um, and potentially for others. And there are destructive leaders who will um, surround themselves with followers that collude and conform with their behavior. And that can make it even more confusing because they're participating. Okay. And they, they do that because there is something to be achieved in that followership. For the colluder, they believe there's going to be an outcome to their benefit. And so they participate because they're looking for whatever that outcome is, and it's worth it to them to participate. For the conformer, um, they don't feel like they have a choice. So they've, they've decided to move forward in, in supporting that leader. And so that creates, that's part of what creates that toxic yeah. environment. So if you're witnessing dysfunctional leadership, ineffective leadership, bad communication, um, those are clear signs. If there doesn't feel like there's a lot of trust in the organization, if there's lack of enthusiasm, low morale, if people have stopped engaging in um, what we call organizational citizenship behaviors, but it means volunteering, helping your, your coworkers, if communication is erratic or minimal, and if, if employees have lost the desire to innovate, or um, are feeling like a pervasive fear of failure, like every mistake has been uh, under a microscope. Uh, if employees are absent, if there's high turnover, in one particular circumstance where I realized I was working for a destructive leader, that organizational environment had high, high, high turnover. Mm -hmm. And that's a clear example. If there's clicks, bullying, gossiping, and if that behavior is tolerated, if the leaders are not um, addressing that immediately and creating accountability for it. So I wanted to bring that up because if you are in that environment, please don't doubt yourself. Please recognize that environment is toxic. It can be harmful. If you're feeling like your mental health is um, in jeopardy, listen to your, listen to yourself listen and to your gut. gut. Yes. I yeah. love it. Okay. Oh my gosh. So empathetic, okay, yeah, yeah. empathetic leaders, empathetic the opposite. Leaders. Yes. Um, <laughs> Let's end on a high note, please. Yes. 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 
And uh, so uh, in our in the in the chapter in the book, my co-author and I talked about empathetic leader behaviors. And one of the things I think is really important to point out, and you know, because you do this work in your coaching and leadership development, we we can naturally be empathetic in our behaviors and our leadership. But for those who don't naturally come to that or intuitively feel they are that, it and can there's be taught. at least half of us yeah. that don't naturally it can be taught. It can yeah. be taught. It we can, can learn to engage in behaviors that are empathetic. And what's the benefit of that? You you retain employees. You engage employees. You create an environment where people can be their best authentic selves mm. and um, enjoy their work and, and help your organization and themselves succeed. So that behavior looks like uh, you talked about feedback. Um, a leader engaging in empathy takes the time to ask their employees for feedback. They take the time to listen to that feedback uh, and and take that in because there might be an opportunity for them to grow and develop as a leader of others. An empathetic leader is more interested in how they can help you and then themselves be successful in the organization because when when you win, I win. We all right, win, right? right? It's not self-motivated. An empathetic leader um, takes time to get to know the humans they work with. So uh, that can look like just, um, you know, asking your employees in the beginning of a meeting, how's everybody doing? Don't yeah, dive into right. your action items right out of the gate. Like, let's, let's do a round robin of what in. you're grateful for today or right. <laughs> anything. Just, how are you doing? Um, yeah. And it doesn't have to, it can be just a few minutes, but it helps the employees who work with you understand that you care about them as humans. And the way I think of it is like this, the destructive leader sees you as a widget. You mm -hmm. are an ends to a means. Yeah. The empathetic leader knows that you are human first and that you as a human woke up somewhere in the world and came to work to do a job, but you started off as a human in the world first. Yeah. And the empathetic leader knows that the, the destructive leader presumes you're there all the time for their ends to the means. And you're just, a, you know, I mean. Yep. Somebody to be driven to meet right. the goals of the company. Yeah, that's right. I, th I think too, and this is just my personal opinion, um, that the, at some level, some leaders reach a point where they become so far distanced mm. from the humans who do the day-to-day um, -day work that makes their company happen. Yeah. That they forget what that they forget, or maybe they didn't know what that looks like. And so uh, I had um, early in my career, I had a, a probably significantly the main mentor I've ever had from a career perspective. He was just a beautiful human and he was the general manager of the organization I worked at. And he had worked his way up through the ranks as a frontline employee, as a mechanic. And um, in his leadership role, when there was a need to uh, roll up your sleeves to serve a customer, he would come out of his office and work alongside his folks. Wow. And it didn't matter that he was the general manager because in his mind, it, we were all one team, team and we had to work together to, uh, you know, do the job and serve the customer. And 
So in effect, he was serving his employees, but he was also serving his customer. So he never lost touch with the connection of the people who are actually doing the work. Because when you get to that level, you're delegating. Yeah, mostly. And if you become so far removed from the people who are showing up every day, like putting in the sweat equity for whatever drives your business, um, you truly can't be connected to empathetic leadership because you've lost touch in understanding what they need as humans to be successful, not just at your company, but in their life too. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. There's a lot of work to be done in this area and I'm going to put a little (laughs) plug in for me. And then I'm going to ask you to plug in for you. I am now working with mid-level managers in like fortune 500 companies and HR directors who need to help those mid-level managers to help build the culture that where people really want to stay where people want to thrive, where we can get rid of this destructive leadership and raise the level of employee engagement and retention and you know productivity and happiness and peace and all of the rest of it. So Karen, please tell us, I have in the show notes how to reach you on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and also your promo, which is uh, the from Ethics Press. Uh, the ethical implications of COVID-19 management, which is awesome. So tell us a little bit more about that or anything else you want to say before we wrap up. Uh, Yes. So that was earlier in the podcast. I talked about the chapter. So my co-author Jim Payne and I, we uh, wrote this chapter and it's included in ethics press, ethics international presses collection on COVID and in particular, our chapter is in the second of the two books focused on the aftershock of what did it look like for management. And then specifically within that, we focus on talking about business. Um, And it was really important to me because in my doctoral work, now I'm looking at destructive leadership. I've learned so much from my master's work. Now I'm looking at destructive leadership as, as a concept of destructive leadership as a process. So don't think of destructive leadership as the leader or their behaviors um, or, or characteristics or traits, but the concept of destructive leadership is a process where you have a leader who's harmful or negatively impactful, followers in the, in the system, so those who collude and conform, but also the challengers, the people that stand up and say, this is not okay, and I, I'm going to take action. And that could be leaving. It could be reporting it, whistleblowing. There's a number of ways in which we can challenge. Uh, and then also those conducive environments that, that allow for that to fester and cause mm. great harm. So my, my dissertation is focused on that as a group process. I would say in my mind that one of the most important things that we really need to be thinking about inside our organizations and from an empathetic leadership perspective is mental health. Mm -hmm. And what are we doing going forward, given all that we've lived through in the pandemic and the pandemic continues. We may Mm -hmm. not have the same case level uh, or death statistics that we had during the years of, of quarantine and lockdown, but it hasn't, it hasn't gone away. There are still cases. And 
um, we will be feeling the repercussions of, of what we went through for years to come in the form of, of employees struggling with both apparent and non-apparent disabilities. Oh, yeah, because there's so many people that are sort of hiding in plain sight, as it were. Um, there's so many unseen disabilities that we have, that your people have. And uh, that's going to be a whole nother podcast discussion we can have okay, another okay. time. But thank you, Karen, so much <laughs> yes. for coming on the podcast today. I really wish you all the best in your future career. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learned in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters.